0: The scripture reading today is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the tomb. Look, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven. Coming to the stone, he rolled it away and sat on it. Now his face was like lightning, and his clothes as white as snow. The guards were so terrified of him that they shook with fear and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Don't be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He isn't here, because he's been raised from the dead, just as he said. Come, see the place where they laid him. Now, hurry, go and tell his disciples, he's been raised from the dead, he's going on ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. I've given the message to you. With great fear and excitement, they hurried away from the tomb and ran to tell his disciples. But Jesus met them and greeted them. They came and grabbed his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers that I am going into Galilee. They will see me there. The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection.
1: Let us pray. God, we are grateful for the gift to be out here worshiping in your sanctuary, your creative space where you teach us about things like life and death and waiting and newness out of what we had given up for gone. We thank you for this moment and this time that we can gather in the warmth of your son to be reminded of all of that and the ways that you continue to be at work within and around us. And so speak through me, because of me, but also in spite of me, that what it is that you want to say to us might be heard with such clarity we can't ignore it. Clear away those things that clutter our hearts and our minds so that we might be fully present and attuned to who and where you are today. We pray this with gratitude and in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. What would you do if you knew you couldn't lose? Would you go out and buy a bunch of lottery tickets? Try out for that competitive pickleball league you've been psyching yourself out on? Would you file that patent or put your name in for that job? Would you be where you are right now? Or would you be somewhere, someone else altogether? What would you do if you knew you couldn't lose? But then you did and in the worst way possible. Our passage for today opens up with two women swimming in grief and reeling from emotional whiplash. Just one week earlier, their beloved friend and teacher had entered the city to cheering crowds. And five days later, those same crowds were jeering. They thought they couldn't lose until they did. In short order, Jesus went from beacon of hope to public enemy number one. He was tried, sentenced, and executed, not so much by the state's judgment as by the religious leader's insistence. And so here, Mary and Mary Magdalene are, walking and weeping and wondering what's next. Even coming to this politically charged gravesite puts them at some form of risk. After all, surely not every newly closed tomb had two guards standing sentry. Jesus was the best of men. His followers, and really most people, knew it. Even Pilate, the Roman governor who signed off on Jesus' execution, had his doubts and washed his hands of the whole thing. So when the Marys head out to tend to Jesus' body, as soon as the Sabbath had ended, they know that Jesus did not deserve what he got. And in that knowing, something that had just begun to mend was broken again. They had been accustomed to the short end of the stick. They were used to pain and things not going their way. That's what made Jesus so remarkable. He sparked something within them that made them reconsider what they had trained themselves to call wishful thinking, childish fantasies and naivete. Their cynicism had cracked under the weight of his love and the power of his actions. Maybe, maybe he's right, they began to think. Maybe there is another kind of world possible. Maybe there's another kind of me possible. So now maybe they're kicking themselves on the inside for foolishly believing that anything could be different. But he gave it a shot. Jesus gave his very best, and even if he died for it, he made everyone the better knowing, for knowing him. His message had sparked hope for everyone and anyone living a crap life or even a trap life. It's just that the system was too big, too powerful, and it wasn't built for people like them. It probably took the Marys months, maybe even years, to really, truly be convinced That Jesus was real and that his message was legit, and only a couple of days before going back to their old way of thinking. But then on their way, the ground shifts underneath their feet, and along with it, everything that they had ever known to be true. Because when they arrive, the tomb is open, and sitting on top of a boulder is a light so bright the women can hardly look at it. The guards are terrified, but the angel speaks to, to the women, not to them. Don't be afraid. He says, Jesus isn't here. Come and see. Then go and tell. The women rush to share the news, and on the way, who do they run into but the risen Christ himself? They grab his feet, which all scholars agree is a little bit weird, but I think it's somehow really endearing, right? Like a combination of, are you really here? And don't go anywhere. And the first thing out of Jesus' mouth is not, you will not believe what I have been through. (laughs) No, his first words are these Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I know you've been afraid. Don't be afraid. And don't be afraid to tell the truth about what has happened. And he says this, of course, because truth-telling can be a fearful and punishing undertaking. Last Sunday, many of us were reeling from the grief and trauma of yet another school shooting, this time in Nashville. The tale is painfully familiar. A young person enters a building that they once roamed as a student to do as much damage as possible. But that's not where things ended. Connections about this person's identity as a trans man and the school's conservative Christianity gave this occurrence a particular shade of grief for many Christians. Intersections of theological violence and mental distress overlaid with armed assault rippled us outward as that same day the governor of Tennessee signs into law a ban on providing gender-affirming care for transgender children and prohibitions on shows that feature male and female impersonators, which is just another way of saying drag shows. Days after the shooting, three representatives, Justin Jones, Justin P. Pearson, and Gloria Johnson, joined and supported protesters at the Capitol, pushing for more gun control. Jones said, we are members who are standing in the well, telling our speakers and our colleagues that kids should not be murdered in school. Later in the week, the two Justins, both young, both black, were expelled from their offices for lack of decorum. Because, of course, that's the most pressing issue at hand. One might say they deserved it. After all, what kind of decorum is talking, taking to a bullhorn and disrupting the good and proper business of lawmaking? Maybe. But it is telling that the argument was more about how to act properly than to how to help constituents live prosperously. Truth-telling can be a punishing undertaking. All the more so in a system that will do everything it can to stop up its ears. When the soldiers described what happened to the chief priests, their mouths were stuffed with money, and their minds were filled with a new, much more convenient story to replace an inconvenient truth. His disciples, those people, they stole the body while we were asleep, shut them up and shut them down, Sure, it makes the guards look bad, but the money looked good. And anyway, they were just hired guns, so what does it matter anyway? The religious leaders tell the guards to cease and desist. But Jesus instructs the Marys to go and tell. Tell the disciples to meet me in Galilee, he says. Galilee, the place where he first stepped into himself, where he first found friends who let him be his truest self without apology or excuse. Galilee, where the mission seemed so simple and plain and possible. Show people what it's like to be free. Surely, it's not that complicated. So much has happened since then. Let's go back to Galilee and remember. And in our remembering, we can let go of our fear long enough to take hold of that hope once again because everything around us is telling us that we are doomed. There are so many voices telling us that we are doomed. Did you know that we are doomed? Did you know? If not in Nashville, then here in San Francisco, well, at least that's what all the newspapers have been saying. A doom loop, in case you haven't heard, is not a bonus track on Mario Kart. No, a doom loop is a feedback loop of fear and anxiety. It's what happens when businesses flee and because other people have fled, which makes even more businesses flee, and on and on until there's nothing and no one left. We are doomed. All the loudest voices agree, have been gleefully proclaiming it. Jesus knows something about what it means to be doomed. Why, just a few days ago, he himself was doomed on Friday At City Church, we spent a whole hour unpacking the many and varied ways in which legal proceedings and religious laws conspired, constrained, and condemned Jesus to state-sponsored execution. We heard how he was betrayed by his business manager, listened as his friends and followers peeled away one by one how he was humiliated in the last hours of his life before it drained away. On Friday, death is the end and the means to a cynical kind of salvation. Death is the door through which we walk when we've decided that some lives are worth dying in order for others to live. Children in schools, queer and trans people, those who are unhoused or living in poverty, disabled or chronically ill. Doom is for the death dealing small-minded, cowardly-hearted, and self-centered. On Friday, we were doomed. On Friday, Jesus was doomed. But that was Friday. But today, well, today is Sunday. Say it with me, today is Sunday. Today is Sunday. The Mary's arrived, and today we do too. Jesus is risen, and as it turns out, doom is the biggest lie that was ever told which we may have believed if an empty tomb hadn't exposed it for the fraud that it was. Today is Sunday, and Sunday is for resurrection. Resurrection, not death, is our salvation, not only because it restores our connection to God, but because it restores our connection to ourselves and to one another and to all of creation. Resurrection reminds us that through Jesus, we are given all of what we need in order to disrupt those doom loop narratives which tell us that it's every person for their self and what you see is all of what you can get. Resurrection exposes doom loops for the scam that they are, a thief that is eager to rob us of our joy, a trick to reduce our imaginations, a distortion to weaken our will, and a trap to break our courage, a panic button that triggers our core fear and cons us into believing that we must all fend for ourselves. It is a powerful force that we can learn to overcome when we practice living like resurrection is true. Will you practice with me? How do we practice this? First, it means we don't pretend like we have all the answers as much as we trust and believe that the answers exist and that they can only be found together as the resurrected body of Christ. Second, we learn what it looks like to live resurrection. And third, we practice. We practice by embracing hope over despair. We practice by choosing faith over certainty. We practice by moving from love to fear. We practice by exercising courage over our comfort. Friends, there is no doom loop. I'm sorry to disappoint you. There is no truth to the stories which tell you there is more behind you than before you, and it is a lie that what you can see is all that you can get. Jesus is calling us back to Galilee, which is another way of saying back to a community where we can learn how to be our truest selves without apology or excuse, to embrace hope, to choose faith, to move from love, and to exercise courage. We do this, not because we should or even because we could. We do this because this is what we were made for, to be liberated in the deepest way possible and to amplify that liberation so powerfully that God's vision of wholeness of life for all is so compelling that we can't help but we be moved to pursue it with all of our being, for me and for you and for all of us together. Christ is risen. Resurrection is real. And so let us live like it's true. Amen.